What is good, everybody? Your host, Michael Sakand here, and you're listening to Our Future. It's a podcast for young, curious business leaders, where from the perspective of a 20-year-old college student, I chat with founders and executives at the helm of the most exciting companies and startups, unpacking industry trends, and sharing the secrets to winning in the business world. If you want to hear short, entertaining conversations with the best and brightest in business, hit that subscribe button wherever you are listening today and get new episode notifications every single week. Telemedicine is finally having its moment during this pandemic, and Roe is the transformative healthcare startup and newly minted unicorn that is bringing digital health to the mainstream. It operates three digital clinics, Roman for men, Rory for women, and Zero for smoking cessation. And they recently launched a cloud-based pharmacy that delivers over 500 generic drugs for just $5 a month each. On today's episode, I chat with Rose General Counsel, Adam Greenberg, about the future of telemedicine and Rose's superpower in reinventing the patient experience. I hope you guys enjoy this one. To open things up, I mean, you were general counsel of, of a company pioneering a healthcare model that's brand new. What are like the big legal barriers to, to doing this? Because nobody's done it before. From a legal, regulatory, and policy perspective, it's an incredibly exciting time to be in digital health. Uh, you mentioned digital pharmacy, but we also have a, um, a, a telemedicine platform. Um, so right. which, what I think makes Roe unique, and I think what we're the best in the world at is the end-to-end uh, patient experience. Um, uh, if, you, if you are suffering from a condition, um, you want to learn or be treated um, for a condition, you can access um, doctors on our telemedicine platform. Um, receive treatment, um, and then also if, if you're prescribed, if the doctor feels it's appropriate, receive the medication uh, sent from our pharmacies to your doorstep. So because because it's the end-to-end model, we have to consider a lot of laws and regulations. Um, and especially in the telehealth space, it's evolving really rapidly. Right. It's changing almost on a daily basis. We are, we're a cash pay model, so we're really looking to state uh, telehealth laws and state pharmacy laws. Um, by and large, the practice of medicine and the practice of pharmacy is regulated at the state level. Um, so we have to design uh, a company and a product, both on the telehealth side and the pharmacy side, that's compliant with all 50 states and their idiosyncratic laws yeah. and regulations on how they on how they govern um, the stuff. So it's it's a real interesting challenge for for me and for the legal team to one understand the current state of play, how each state is looking at digital health and regulating digital health, and then um, try to understand where states are going to, um, trying to monitor new laws and regulations that are getting proposed, um, especially at the state level. Um, It's really fun. Um, It's a little bit different than maybe some of the other um, tech uh, startups who are disruptive that you've spoken to. You know, in the and in, in one of the reasons why I, I love uh, I love working for this company is we uh, we share I, sh- I share this philosophy too is that in healthcare the philosophy of breaking things and then asking for forgiveness doesn't really fly um, no. and, and we don't think that's an appropriate way right. to behave in the healthcare right. field. Um, so you know, it's a little bit from a from a regulatory perspective, it might be a little bit different than some other disruptive um, startups and, and how they view um, laws and regulations that have been in the books for a long time and have not necessarily caught up with the technology. I love how clean the business model is in that it's like, what, five bucks for a monthly pres- prescription and then 15 bucks for a telemedicine visit. Is there a 
kind of desire to integrate with insurance because that's just the most complicated, murky machinery in the world, right? Dealing with insurance companies. Is that is that something you guys are going to integrate with or do you think like it's best just to have these transparent upfront prices? Insurance might be in our future. Um, and we understand that there are, there are just some, um, some healthcare activities that don't make sense for a cash pay model. Um, we've been fortunate enough to grow to where we are today on a cash pay system. You mentioned the $5, the $5, uh, per month, um, cash pay pharmacy. So that's a, that's a pretty new business line for us. It's called row pharmacy and we carry over 500, um, of the most commonly prescribed generic medications, um, all for a flat rate of $5 per month per prescription. Um, and it's a great, it's a great option for people that have insurance or don't have insurance, because, um, even if you have insurance, um, if you go to the pharmacy, um, and you are paying for one of these commonly prescribed generic medications, your copay is likely to be over $5 anyway. Um, and it might not even be a great experience for you, um, to, to, at the pharmacy and, and it could be more expensive than um, than this new business that we've spun up. So we think there are still, um, a lot of opportunities in the cash pay model. Um, but insurance is, is something we might look to in the future. So when you joined the company, where was the, the focus, right? Because at first it was ED medication. It was, you know, uh, helping women through menopause. It was smoking cessation. How, how has the vision just ballooned on you, right? Like from that first day to now. Yeah, it's a great question. When, when I first started, we were widely known as a sexual health company um, based on the conditions that we were that we were treating. Um, but I, I knew even from my first conversations with with Zach Raytano, the CEO, that the, the vision for the company was much greater than that. The vision and the goal is to become a patient's first call for whatever patient, whatever patient needs. Um, and even in the two years that I've been at the company, um, we've taken tremendous steps in that direction, um, and have built a much broader set of conditions that we treat. So since I've been there and in, in, in just two years, we've launched, as you mentioned, zero, which is our, um, digital health clinic for smoking cessation. We launched Rory, which is our digital health clinic for women. Um, we have launched, um, a number of conditions, including, um, allergies, uh, dermatology, weight loss, and then most recently the row pharmacy. So we we're making incredible strides in, in very short period of time, um, all towards that vision of being a patient's first call. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, all, I mean, everyone should just be managing their own health on their smartphone. Like, I guess the next question I have is why did it take so long for telemedicine to catch on? Was it, were there laws and regulations that were holding it back? I, I guess COVID accelerated it so much, but like, why were we not FaceTiming with doctors? Yeah, um, it's a it's a phenomenal question, and I think it's a complicated answer. Uh, I'm not sure I have the full answer, but there there are two things that I think have certainly contributed. Um, and, and by the way, since you know since the pandemic hit, the adoption of telehealth has sped up five to ten years from where it was uh, pre-COVID. Um, but before then, um, I think maybe two large contributing factors. One would be, it wasn't clear who was paying for it. You know, we, as I mentioned, we have the benefit of being in a cash pay model. So we are, you know, we're not looking to, um, private healthcare or, 
um, public um, ins private insurance or public insurance to pay for the visits. It's, it's cash pay. Um, but the large, the large majority of healthcare is paid through some sort of insurance model. And some of the, some of the debates that we're seeing right now um, at the federal and the state level is who's going to pay for a telehealth visit, what is covered, um, how much is going to be paid, what technology needs to be used in order for that to be a covered visit so the doctor um, that gets reimbursed by, by the insurance company or, or for the government. And a lot of those questions are now being figured out at the federal and state level. Um, telemedicine has been around for, for years, for, for, you know, for a couple of decades. Um, but the slow adoption, I think, in part is because it wasn't clear who was, who was actually paying for the, the, the health care. And the second, I think, is more maybe generational issue is that, you know, your, your generation is the first digitally native generation. Yeah. Um, and I think it might have taken, um, unfortunately, taken a pandemic for older generations to understand and get comfortable with receiving health care online remotely. Um, and getting, just getting comfortable using the technology and accessing healthcare um, through those modalities. So where are you guys right now? Because honestly, like, you, you know, crack the US, but the biggest primary, the biggest care deserts in the world are South America, Africa, Asia, and they could really benefit from, from this. I mean, what's the kind of the global perspective you guys are taking right now? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Michael. They're every country in the in the world could benefit from um, more access to doctors, more access to healthcare, um, affordable and convenient healthcare. Our focus right now is still in the United States. You mentioned um, care deserts uh, abroad. There are actually quite a few care deserts in the United States as well. Right. Um, we've been um, fortunate enough to serve patients in 99% of the care deserts across the United States. Um, and there, there are more than you'd expect. So our, our, our focus right now is, um, is building out our U.S. presence. We still think there's a, a lot of room for growth in the U.S. Um, and and, and in international um, expansion is not on our radar immediately. Um, long term, um, we'd love to see opportunities. But as you mentioned, the, the regulatory environment is, is complicated. And we've spent our energy on understanding the regulatory environment in the U.S. for now. What's the most nonsensical or like wacky kind of law you've discovered when it comes to healthcare in some state? It's a, it's a great question. Um, I wouldn't call these wacky, but the, the, a lot of so I, I spend probably thirty to forty percent of my time on government affairs and policy work. Um, these are these aren't wacky laws, but these are these are laws where we think there are a lot of rooms for improvement. Some of the some of the older telehealth laws dictate the technology that a doctor must use when performing healthcare services via telehealth technologies. Um, some states, it's a minority of states, but some states require in each instance, any time that a doctor is treating you remotely, for it to be via audio and video, like okay. what we're doing right now. Um, and our view is that those laws are, are outdated. The technology has, has developed as such where we should be empowering doctors um, and putting tool, techn technological tools in their hands beyond audio video to help treat their patients. Yeah. Asynchronous telemedicine, remote patient monitoring, um, and, the, and some laws in some states have been a little bit slow to catch up on some of the advances in, in technology. I uh, got to bring Raven Health on the podcast in uh, June, I believe it was. Feels like so long ago, man. Seriously. But really cool what they did. And you guys partnered with them. And I guess yeah. that's to 
create a comprehensive directory and app of doctors who are using Rose subscribe to Rose services? It's actually it's actually a, an avenue for patients who either are unsuitable for telehealth or in addition to the telehealth oh, services yeah. that, that they're that they're receiving from from Roe, if the doctor um, on Roe's platform believes that they could be they could benefit from an in-person um, brick and mortar experience with a doctor, it's a way to um, to put tools and information in the patient's hands to book those appointments. So we we love we love the the, the Ribbon Health team. It's a really exciting partnership, and it's a it's a it's an acknowledgement by Roe, I think that not everything can be done through telehealth. Not everything can be done remotely. There are some medical procedures and some specialists that you just wanna see in person. Um, and partnering with Ribbon Health, um, they have indexed the entire doctor and provider network in the United States based on location, um, what language the doctor speaks, what insurances the doctor takes, doctor's specialty. Um, and we now, provide those, that information and those, and those tools for row patients um, who are seeking in-person care. What have you learned in the business world that you would want to share with your 20-year-old self? What have you learned having this you know, big career that you'd want to have known at the start? I think I would have, I think I would have asked myself to do a little bit more research um, um, leading up to law school and in law school. Um, there, I, I think, and maybe it's less so now, but I, but, but when I was in law school, there was, um, this kind of expectation that at least, at least I carried it, that being a lawyer meant, um, working at a, working at a law firm, going to work at a big law firm, um, and doing litigation or M&A work. I thought, you know, that's what I, I had been conditioned to believe is, is real legal work is, is right as the goal after law school. Um, you know, I took a bit of a circuitous route to get to, um, really amazing startups like, like Warby and Row. Uh, but I wish I had done a little bit of legwork, um, knowing that these are, that this was a career option. Mm -hmm. I, I really, I, I worked at a, at a big law firm called Skadden Arbs and I really value my time there. It was an incredible training ground for the work I do now, but I learned pretty early on in my tenure at Skadden that, um, you know, partnership at a, at a big law firm wasn't the, the right career path for me. Um, so only then did I start to investigate what else is out there? What else is out there in the in-house world? What else is out there in the startup world? And that was that's work and research that I, that I just hadn't done. Um, I, I, I'm lucky um, that I was able to, to make the transition and land a job at Warby and then from Warby to Rowe. Um, but for, for law students or people thinking about law school, um, if you're looking to spend three years to delay figuring out what you want to do in your career, I, I probably wouldn't advise. Um, but there are so many things you could do with a law degree, um, even beyond practicing law. If, if you look at uh, jobs, jobs in government or jobs in policy, um, a lot of those are filled by, by lawyers. Um, but it's a really an individual decision. Um, and then, and I, I got, like I said, I got lucky that I ended, it ended up being a great passion of mine. Um, but I, I didn't put in, I didn't put that thought into it before I did. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Adam Greenberg, General Counsel of Roe, affording us some pretty exciting insight into the regulatory questions and considerations rooted in the future of healthcare. And I can't wait to watch Roe continue to grow and truly unlock the transformative potential that lies in deploying telemedicine at scale. Stay safe, stay frosty. 
be rocking with you again soon.